0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Can you help me redefine Truth and preservation of our soul shine I can feel it, yours and mine Close your eyes and witness it inside In your bones, you will know Trust and let go Let it flow
0: All Things in the Name of Love, Episode 33, The Power of Grief for Transformation and Grounding Traditions into Sacred Art with Amy Livingstone. Today I'm speaking with Amy Livingstone, M.A., who is a contemporary sacred artist and spiritual activist. She began drawing at a young age while growing up in New Hampshire and completed undergraduate studies in fine art. After relocating to Portland, Oregon in the early 1990s, She discovered figurative sculpture through classes at the Pacific Northwest College of Art and studied at Hip Bone Studio for six years while maintaining a thriving graphic design business. In 2001, after a spiritual awakening that unfolded over a long period of grieving, she answered her soul calling to work professionally as an artist. In 2003, Amy founded Sacred Art Studio after a transformative 10-day training with environmentalist Joanna Macy and dedicates her work to the healing of our world. Amy, it is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I want to talk about, you've always, from what I understand, you've always had artistic inclinations.
2: Yes. When I was very young, I started drawing doing the draw me cartoons and things. I don't know if you remember, anyone remembers those, but they were in the back of magazines. And so I would draw them painstakingly and present them to my mother with all sorts of enthusiasm. So that was my first kind of foray into drawing at a young Mm -hmm. age. I was probably 10, 11 or something in there. Mm.
0: And did you continue that or did it fade or did it morph into something? How did that, how did that show up in your life? And
2: Well, bless my mother. I love my mother very much. But, you know, we were a New England conservative kind of, you know, family. And Mm -hmm. being an artist wasn't terribly practical. So Mm -hmm. uh, my parents, and I'm grateful for this now because I appreciate having the skills of the seamstress. So they they sent us to uh, learn how to sew. So my creative expression really in my teen years came through my making clothes. So by the time I was in seventh grade, I was making all my own clothes. That's and, amazing. Uh, not, maybe not all of them, but I was making a lot of my own clothes. And then I decided I did want to study art and went in college eventually. And that came a little bit later in my junior year of high school. So in high school, we, they built a new high school and they had all these new art labs. And oh, it was nice. my first time in a class, art class. And I said, oh, this is home. This
1: is home. Oh, wow.
2: So it did start developing through high school. And then I, in spite of my parents' concerns, I did decide to pursue uh, fine art studies uh, when I went to college.
0: Mm. Yeah, I understand that because my parents, when I decided I was going to major in American studies, they're like, are you sure you want to do that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And And I can understand as a parent, you want to be sure that, you know, you're... Your kids are following, are taken care of, basically, right? Right. But, right. Uh, I think I knew from a young age that I had the soul calling. I wouldn't have called it then, but I, mm. I also wanted to join the Peace Corps when I was a teenager. My mother was like, n- n- didn't want that to happen either. <laughs> 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 like, I, my my older siblings were living in Guatemala, and uh, she's like, I'm not having another kid take off to a foreign mm. country. So she she, she kind of clamped down on that too. So, so I just. I just feel like that these urges, these callings inside me to creatively and to serve were there at a young age and they have just evolved and developed in, over the years of my life. So in different forms. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, you did graphic design for a while.
2: Yes, I did actually. I I did go to under do my undergraduate work in fine art and in my senior year. You know, I was waiting tables and putting myself through college. I you know, I got student loans and all that. And in my senior year, I discovered advertising communications. And through that, doing an internship at a graphic design firm, and this was back in the mid-80s, and so everything was done by hand. Mm -hmm. And it was a beautiful, it it felt like a craft. It felt like you could Mm -hmm. actually create things with your hands and also, you know, pay some bills.
0: (laughs) Which is amazing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so once I finished my undergraduate degree, I did uh, Kind of, I kind of fell into graphic design work, and I actually had a very successful and lucrative career as a graphic designer, which I'm grateful for. Yeah, so it was kind of a long winding journey from you know New England to Florida, and then I went to California and got my first uh, position at a design firm in Pasadena, in Southern California. And so I was there for seven years and learned a lot. And yeah, that was that was good, but also I was going through a lot of family. A lot of loss and trauma at the time, which is really the turning point, really in my life, my life story.
0: So, what 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 happened during that time? Like, who who transitioned?
2: My brother first, mm-hmm. who my our beloved brother. He was the oldest, the only son, Richard, and mm. he died from AIDS. It was early in the oh. AIDS epidemic, you know, when there was, you know, not there wasn't a lot of hope back then. So yeah. he he was, he was very much a mentor and, to me. And, and so it's kind of a long story to get into here, but you know, ultimately my uh, parents took him in, my parents had found their way to California and, and he was, so I was blessed, really blessed to be within the last six weeks of his life and at wow. the time of his death.
1: Mm.
2: And that alone was life changing for me, yeah. but then, nine months later, my mother died suddenly when I was out of the country. Oh wow! And that was such a shock because I was extremely close to my mother as well. Very close family in general. Mm-hmm. We were very close. So losing my brother and then my mother, and it was just a lot of fallout from that. Um, yeah. At a time when, you know, when you're 29 and 30 years old, especially back then, there were no death cafes. I mean, people just, there was no consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. You go to you go to the you go to the bookstore and the whole only books on the shelf are Elizabeth Cooper Ross, which is great, but there was no support system at all for this and right yeah so I plunged into a very dark period of time for myself and it was through that journey though eventually mm-hmm. that I kind of found my way back to painting you know I kind of put my painting to the side mm-hmm. while I was pursuing trying to get out of debt and <laughs> college student yeah, yeah. loan debt and surviving whatever and So I, during those dark years, I just started, I started painting. I had, I'll confess, I was uh, drinking too much and being very reckless. And uh, I think I came home one night to my apartment and I always had kind of an easel with a canvas kind of set over in the corner of my apartment. And I just started painting. Mm. And I think the process, that's why I believe deeply in the healing power of art, because it was just through the process of painting my heart on the canvas Mm -hmm. And what I was experiencing that eventually contributed to my slow emergence, got back into life and as well as um, finding a very compassionate therapist to listen because my peers were, didn't couldn't understand what I was going through because they hadn't experienced any kind of loss of any kind. So it was very isolating. And, and so someone pointed me to this woman who is amazing, very kind and compassionate. And I credit her with also contributing to my healing for sure. Yeah. Some i to bear witness to my, my experience to acknowledge, to like, because people around me are like, well, you know, be strong. Life goes on, you know, that people don't know what to say. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay, everything has been ripped out from underneath me and uh, my whole life is, perspective on life has changed and I'm supposed to get back to the quote unquote normal and yeah. even my father you know in his grief was saying that even life's got to go on but I'm like well it does but it's not going on the same right <laughs> so yeah so that's yeah. kind of that's how I found my way back to my visual art after kind of I would say about a five-year hiatus from finishing my undergraduate work and then you know segueing into graphic design and then my art and I was still doing graphic design you know and okay but he- um but I started doing the art as well.
0: So when did you feel a shift going from just creating <laughs> to being inspired by a deeper calling
2: to like, to the work that I'm doing now, for instance? Yeah. Well, I, as I said, I was doing, I had this very thriving graphic design business and I had, but it actually got to be kind of crazy. It was during the dot com boom. Um, I'd moved to Oregon and doing a lot of work for the high tech industry. And it was, you know, the money was great, but I, and there was my some part of my soul was saying, this is what I'm here to do. Because originally I wanted, when I relocated from California to Oregon uh, in the early 90s, I know this all might sound confusing, but I found my way to Oregon. I was going to become an art therapist because I, I was so, mm-hmm. I've been so healed through this process of therapy and my art. I'm like, I want to be there for people and support others in their journey, which isn't tip, which is very typical, you know, the wounded healer mm-hmm. and all that. So then I fell back kind of, and I was just still very raw and wounded. It was, it was only a few years and I, I just, I fell back into graphic design, but there was a part of me was like, this just doesn't feel like what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was around when I was 40 and I went through another couple of losses relationship wise. So it triggered all the grief mm-hmm. that I wasn't really able to process when I was 30. You know? mm-hmm. So it took about a decade. And, so right, And this isn't uncommon in, I don't think in, if you look at it on a spiritual quest, you know, there's usually a period where there's a shift happening, usually like pre, like as you had midlife, I guess. But anyway, I shouldn't philosophize on that. <laughs> the point, the point is, is around that time that I also met a life coach and she was also very encouraging. It's like, you know, you can live the life that you want. And so through this kind of reliving that old grief and all this, doing this embodied work. I had a lot of different healers that I was working with Uh, and working with a coach and just started to say, okay, what do I want to do with my life? You know, and I worked with her and did for about a year. She offered wonderful workshops around following your heart's desire. And it was then that I decided to, you know, that I was going to follow this calling to somehow find a way to use my art and my skill, listening skills, my ability to serve, yeah, others in our world. Mm. So, and so once I set that intention, of course, the (laughs) the universe kind of opened up things for me after that. And I um, went to a 10 day training with Joanna Macy in 2002, which fell on the anniversary of nine 11, which was and nine 11 is also the anniversary of my brother's death.
1: So oh I wow, have these, weird,
2: these weird synchronicities around 9 uh, 11 for me too. Wow. So at, during this 10-day training with Joanna Macy, uh, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with her work. she's an environmentalist, Buddhist scholar, and I know of her. I'm Not her I'm
0: not too familiar with her, but I know of her.
2: Yeah, she's an amazing crone who's um, been involved with activism and grief, and actually basically, and also grief, despair and empowerment work. Mm. So how do we go into the grief and allow ourselves to feel the feelings and then be transformed through the process and power to then take action in the world. And so that's during powerful. that train, it is so powerful, Erica. It was amazing. Yeah. I, it's really an amazing turning point. That was kind of this other turning point for me that, set, that con, is, continues to inform the work that I'm doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Because um, I, when my dad died 10 years ago, everybody was like, Okay, something's wrong with Erica. So something's
2: wrong with Erica. Right, because <laughs> I was grieving. grieving. Because I was you're grieving.
0: grieving. <laughs> I didn't nobody nobody knew what to do with me because I, you know, I was mourning, and it was just fascinating to see how our culture doesn't deal with death. No, no and grief, and so the fact that you were able to find this amazing healing opportunity that where you are actually able to fully feel your grief is really amazing.
2: Well, it took about 10 years. So I was actually able to do that in the, in the early, in the early years after Richard and mom died, I was definitely not able to, Right. but eventually, yes, I was. And I think that's, I, and I, it may sound kind of crazy. That it took 10 years, but I think based on what you're saying, you know, what we're talking about, a culture that doesn't want to acknowledge it. It's really finding a way to really go into it and allow yourself to experience it, in order to move through it. I think it took so long for me because I didn't have that support. And you know, like the ancient Keeners, you know, and the ancient, ancient traditions. There's people mm-hmm. actually there who are like professional mourners who will help go. I mean, go in and like grieve and you know. So. What a powerful gift. So it's- I think if everyone had uh, at the time, so when I was around 40 and going through this kind of re-experiencing it. I was working with some people doing, who was doing body work and energy work. And mm-hmm. so much of the grief, and I don't know if this is true for you, where it really gets inside, it's like it creates armor, kind of if it it's same mm-hmm. process, it becomes part of your body, your, the, um, what am I trying to say, like cellular memory. Right. That, that gets lodged in, I think, in like your heart chakra. And I remember laying on this table with this beautiful, network chiropractor Larry who has since passed away and uh, which was really tragic but he was such a healer amazing I would just be sobbing on his table mm-hmm. because it was all just kind of it was all just kind of breaking up inside of me all this yeah. like, armor that I wasn't able to process so
0: yeah that's beautiful
2: mm-hmm. and yeah I, I get it I I have
0: I'm amazed when I have a physical manifestation of a stress as I'll give you uh, an example. I last month my lips i I burned my lips early this summer, and they would not heal. Hmm. Well, they wouldn't heal because I wasn't allowing myself to fully speak my truth. Mm, and it was yeah. like Wait a minute, I thought it was just because I burned them, and nope, nope, because our bodies always are talking to us and it's whether or not we want to listen and we have the support to help us heal. Mm-hmm.
2: And what often happens is that until you actually stop and listen, it keeps kind of coming back and back. Like it might be something small, not a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. you know kind of until you're paying attention. Yeah.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So through this healing uh, process at 40, is that when your painting started to shift into a more spiritual realm?
2: It was, I came back from the Macy Intensive and that's when I founded Sacred Art Studio. Okay. And the ironic thing is that I founded Sacred Art Studio before I made any sacred art. (laughs) (laughs) But you felt it. So I knew that I wanted to do artwork, that was spiritual that was healing for our world but I really didn't have a quite clear vision of where it was going so eventually evolved over time and part of that was I went to graduate school I started grad school in 2004 to study religion interestingly enough mm. I did not I consider an MFA but I really wanted to it was in line with this vision of the sacred what's sacred how did mm. we come disconnected from our place and the web of life. And I was really drawn to do that. So it was uh, through my graduate work and the study that I did there as well, that informed my artwork, because what my work is, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to communicate is the threads of connection between our faith traditions and mm-hmm. the threads of earth-based spirituality, which are embedded in our traditions. They're, they've just been grafted over by a more, Maybe in some cases dogmatic uh, uh, framework, but mm-hmm. there's wisdom there to discover that it's really beautiful. So, yeah, yeah. Let's, I've let's I've found that. I've mm-hmm. found that
0: in my personal explorations of, of just what is what is being called to me, I have a, a beautiful Jake and sitting on my desk. And I thank Lakshmi for everything. I know Kali sits near me often. And I grew up in a Protestant church because I'm from New England. And I still believe in some of the, the teachings from the New Testament because I think some mm-hmm. of them are really beautiful. And mm-hmm. they're not exclusive to anything else. And that's just such a liberating mm-hmm. understanding because we can, we can draw from each other's faiths to find what resonates with our souls.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I love that. I often say to people, it's like Jesus worshiped by the sea, in the desert, <laughs> uh, in the garden. Mm-hmm. And Abraham and Moses, Moses experienced God on top of a mountain. Muhammad received the Quran in a the cave. There's a lot of, you know, they, these leaders, these founders of these uh, early. Mystics and prophets experience God in nature,
1: mm-hmm. so
2: how do, how do we reclaim without having to deny if one must believe in a transcendent God, that's fine, but to reverence the earth and nature is holy as well in order that we might care for the creation, the earth.
0: So how do you connect with nature?
2: I'm taking a long pause there because I don't, but it's not, for me, it's not about, I'm not connecting to nature that I'm in nature. I am Mm. of of the earth. I love that. I I don't need to go into nature to be one with the earth and the creation. I'm more animistic. So I see everything as alive. I have, I've had studied shamanism here and in Peru. I studied with the, Teachers, there, so I'm very much present to the sacredness, the holiness of the earth. Mm. No matter where I'm at, really,
0: that's really beautiful. I'm just sitting with that because it just feels so right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm.
2: Which doesn't mean that I don't love to go out into away from. Where the city or I feel alive uh, when I'm near the mother ocean, the ocean gives me so much healing. I love, I'm a Scorpius, I love being by water, Mm. Um, so I love being there in these sacred places as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. You just don't need to have to go into a spot to experience it. There are more, there are some spots that are more resonant with your soul than others and where you are right now is also complete
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: which is amazing
2: yeah Mm -hmm. oh the miracle i just it's the miracle of creation for me the when you think of the um trees and that we breathe with trees i mean Mm -hmm. we're so connected and this is what i'm trying to articulate through my work is that everything comes from the earth and just grateful for a glass of, you know, that we have clean water here in the United States. And, mm-hmm. You know, and just the miracle. Yeah. You know, bugs, yes. even the bugs, even the bugs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I love my bees. I know that. <laughs> uh-huh. I actually have bees in my refrigerator right now because I have mason bees and we're, we're keeping yeah. them safe for the winter months, according to Portland Park and Rec.
2: <laughs> Sweet. You put them in the
0: refrigerator? put them in the refrigerator in, in uh, one of the bins and put a sponge on top and, and have the sponge moist so they have a little moisture, but they're hibernating for the winter. And Oh, oh it's just, it's just, beautiful. it's amazing. It's just this beautiful little experience of having these because mason bees look like flies and they are such amazing pollinators. I had no idea because I didn't have mason bees in Connecticut growing up and I hmm. certainly had never managed a garden before. So So these little ones pollinate thousands of flowers in the space of six weeks. So grateful. So So grateful for that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just so beautiful. And and so I talk to, I mean, we have lots of bees in the garden, but I talk to them and I thank them because they're allowing me to sometimes eat some of the stuff I want, but they're nourishing the animals around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's okay, too, because... They need food and i'm I'm an armchair gardener i'm not you know I'm not a farmer, so it's 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 more of a it's more of a realization that i'm part of a greater whole and it's
2: just mm-hmm. such a beautiful
0: experience
2: yeah 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 they're so so important, and you know there's so much loss around our our bees and i'm not you know there's you know, the pollinators you know we really the yeah. pollinators are so essential to the planet our own survival yeah
0: you know, just yeah. The tiniest
2: oh, miracle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a fierce protector of them. So. Oh, I
2: love it. Thank you. I love the yeah. fact that you're protecting them in the future. Bees, bees and trees. Bees and trees. Bees and trees are
0: my big thing because you know i I like to eat and I like to breathe and so bees and trees are my two <laughs> two big ones because you know it's yeah. and and I hug trees. I have a tree in my garden that is this big old cedar and I talk to her. Mm. Because she's just. She's a presence, and I feel yes. her. And, and you know, when you just remove your ego out of the way, then you can actually feel it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she's listening. Oh, she's she listening. is. Mm-hmm. She is. It's like yeah. every, t- every time I go up, I feel this, Hi, Erica. And it's like, Oh, let's see her. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just so beautiful because I don't care. If anyone else hears it because it doesn't matter, it matters if I hear it
2: mm-hmm. 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 And yes. I, ex-
0: I expect that's been a a feeling you've had, especially when you're painting that you're you're expressing your soul
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sometimes the soul of other beings, yeah, mm-hmm. which is so really- i draw I draw a lot on uh, endangered species and um of course, just the natural world that appear in my work. These are more than human beings, more the more than human world. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when I'm really in the flow and connecting, I, that it's really not about me. It's about giving expression for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you feel into them as you're painting them? Like, do you, do you feel their essence as you're painting?
2: I would say so. I, Uh, Probably sound loony. Probably probably back in the the thirteenth century. I was like crazy, but talking to my the creatures in my paintings, like uh, finishing recently uh, this prayer for the Arctic, which has Mm. a large polar bear, has a large polar bear in the center, and so talking to the bear, uh, it's like okay, you know, and asking them for guidance and guiding Mm. my hand and. So some of these beings, I mean, this is kind of this is new for me actually doing all these creatures. And some of them, I'm like, I can't do the, I'm just like, I can't do it. <laughs> okay. And like the sage, I have a sage grass in the prayer for the desert. It was one of the hardest, the hardest creatures, uh, birds I've ever painted. And I was really? just like, okay, if you, if okay, if you need, if you, if you want to manifest here, I need some, I need guidance. And so I, I do in a way, very much channel their energy. And ask for guidance, the spirit, the creatures.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: So it's, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of crazy. I don't know. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, Yeah, because
0: you're not, you're letting yourself be the conduit.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not terribly. Financially secure or anything. There's no, uh, (laughs) I mean, there's some days I go, I should just be an abstract painter because abstract painters are more popular in our culture. But this is the work that I'm called to. I'm like, okay, God, Spirit, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I will trust in this journey because I only have so much time. I'm very aware too of my finiteness, Mm -hmm. uh, which came through. Through the early death, but now I'm approaching 60, and I'm like, okay, what is it that uh, is calling being asked of me now? How mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to be a faithful witness to borrow from one of my teachers, Stephen Jenkinson, mm. and who uh, does a lot, he does work around death and dying and life. But uh, yeah, wow, what is
0: one of the most soul resonating pieces of art you've created for yourself or for others? Like what call, what has been the deepest calling that you've done?
2: Yeah, it's really hard to pick one, really. Okay. I would say the painting that I would say launched this latest series of work started after the Gulf oil spill in 2010. Mm-hmm. And it's the Lovers of Creation. Mm-hmm. It's a large scale triptych. It became part of, uh, there's a short video that goes with it, a 10-minute documentary on the creation of it. It also became uh, Return to the Garden, installation that I showed around Portland. So it really, I, I feel like that was the piece that launched this kind of work and part of, I mean, this, this particular phase of work that I've been working on mm-hmm. the, with the intention. So what happened was during the Gulf oil spill, I was feeling a lot of grief. For a long time, it wasn't even on the radar of anybody remember the deep water horizon. oh yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: and and, and all the creatures um, that were dying and i thought why are we letting this happen have we become so disconnected from the mother earth that we can allow this to happen and so through my it, it came out of my graduate work through looking at kind of those the early founding fathers on uh, early interpretation of sacred texts right mm-hmm. that i believe informs the our in our actions in the world, mm. and maybe this is getting a little too more 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 scholarly than you want to go, but I'm, no, no but I wanted I'm to, yeah, what I wanted to do was create a a revision of the Garden of Eden story, mm. because if 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 one believes they're fallen and they need to redeem themselves in a future world, a future paradise, what does that mean for the planet that you're living on right now?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so. And I don't believe in original sin. I'm one of my teachers is Matthew Fox, who created the uh, founder of creation spirituality. Mm. And he talks about original blessing. Mm. And so, yeah. And so that we're not fallen and we're not sinners and we don't need to. So, so this painting was, has, uh, there's Adam Eve wings on it. And I was drawing out from Genesis 2, 7, where these more of like a shamanic interpretation Mm-hmm. Of the second garden story, where God blew His breath into the man, which is Adam,
1: mm-hmm.
2: out of the red earth, which is Adama. So mm. Adam in Hebrew just means human, and Adama in Hebrew is red earth. And so that connection between so we're born out of the earth, right? So mm-hmm. if you take that, if you take that interpretation, and so. My Adam and Eve look pretty indigenous, you know, they're awesome. um, color, the color of the earth, more mm-hmm. earthy. And then in the center panel, which is the, what do I call the creation illumination, it's endangered species and the tree of life is there. And so mm-hmm. that particular piece, I would say, deepened, I would say, my understanding of, I guess, what I was called to do through sacred art. If that makes sense, if yeah, it does. Makes it does. Yeah. So when I, because it was very intense working on this painting. I mean, it felt. I'm like, if you look at the history of art, especially, I mean, the interpretations of Adam and Eve and the whole that whole uh, the uh, whole garden story. There's yeah. so many interpretations of it. I'm like, okay, I'm adding my interpretation to this body of uh, work throughout history, and this is what I'm offering. <laughs> and so it was kind of a uh, not terror, but it was like it felt kind of big somehow yeah for me. and like this, yeah, it's like I grew up Protestant too and knowing about Adam and Eve and all this and I'm like re, I'm actually re kind of rewriting what I believe um, mm-hmm. to be our relationship uh, like to our origins or whatever what have you through that lens that mythology whatever so well,
0: that's, that's really powerful mm-hmm. how did you work through the fears of your head
2: Um I told myself that this is what I had, I needed to do. Mm. Uh, that uh, it was the old quote that said, I forgot who said it. I don't know if it was Margaret Mead or Eleanor mm. Roosevelt, one of those lovely women, uh, said something about you have to feel the fear. This Or you feel the fear and you go forward anyway. Do you know, do you know who said that? It was like, just because remember. you feel the fear. Yeah. But you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah you can feel you can feel fear anytime in your life but it's mm-hmm. stepping into it and just walking through it i mean it doesn't mean that fear is not going to be there but yeah you know.
0: mm-hmm. what did you see growing out of that like how was it received and how did you expand after that that initial massive piece mm-hmm.
2: well that it was very well received the piece in general I, the installation i did created that people attended it was very moving for people and mm-hmm. so I really appreciated because it was part of a larger honoring of our grief to the grief work
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and so after that I went back to researching I love research it's a beautiful thing that came out of mm-hmm. my studies graduate studies Mm-hmm. So going, kind of diving into more sacred texts, and after that, with uh, always the intention of finding threads of connection. And so I think the next piece, made one of the next major pieces I did was around the uh, shamanic interpretation that of the, um, it's called the wheel of the four winds. And it comes out of the, more of a shamanic interpretation of the Judaic, how am I trying to say here? I was inspired by Gershon Winkler, who wrote a book called Magic in the Ordinary mm. Reclaiming the Shamanic in Judaism. And so mm. it's a really amazing text that I was yeah. just blown away by. And so the painting actually became, it's inspired by Kabbalah as well and the Tree of Life there, and also has the archangels. It became this big tarot card almost.
1: But oh,
2: wow. Yeah, it's on my website, you can see it. I actually sent him a, him and his wife a print and they love that as well. <laughs> That's so so I started so I, I I worked with um the shamanic and Judaism and then I was like, Well what about Islam? you know, and I'm studying, yeah. you know, the history of Islam and Muhammad was actually quite the environmentalist. I mean, how can you not be when you're living in a desert? Water is very important, you know, right. re- resources are you know scarce. You have to be mindful of these things. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but what I, what I was trying to do was ground, like I'm looking through this Sufi, Sufi lens really, mm-hmm. which is the mystical arm of Islam. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so this, I created this, uh, that came through this time was the New uh, tree of life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so Yes, yeah, so I started digging around in our traditions and just kind of. So what I'm trying to do is ground these traditions that are most you know people worshiping God or Allah or Yahweh, Christ. Mm-hmm. Try to ground them, ground them into mm. the imminent, the mystical, the earth. You know,
0: that's really praying, beautiful. You
2: know? Yeah.
0: So and powerful because when when you talk about the sacred texts. The application of them in day-to-day life seems, uh, what's the word I want to look for? Somewhat unattainable Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and very, very ethereal. Mm -hmm. And so to ground them, to make them real and relevant and tangible is a really beautiful gift.
2: Well, that's the mystical path, right? It's a direct experience of the divine, the numinous. Versus most traditional religions that, you know, religious traditions where you're worshiping God out there, mm-hmm. uh, up there often, up and how the mystics experienced the divine, the holy in the everyday. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, that connects to, again, back to how we care for the creation. Because if you see of God in creation, not as some unattainable deity or some future place in time, what's your relationship then to the earth? And what are you willing to protect because it is holy? Mm-hmm. Not because someone tells you to recycle, but because this is holy and I don't want to destroy, you know, this beautiful creation. Mm-hmm. So it's bringing it, and not to, again, not to deny someone's faith in a deity, whether whether that's, you know, Krishna or Yali, etc. But I, you know, the point is to, or not the point. I guess my hope and my intention is to bring these traditions into our everyday, into the everyday. Mm. But the sacred is woven throughout the everyday. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: <sighs> I think that is an incredible spot to end. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Thank you so much for your time and for all of the beautiful work you do in the world.
2: Thank you, Erica. And thank you for your wonderful contribution with love and, and sharing all the wisdom from your, your guests. So thank you. You're welcome.
0: The action item of the week is to tune into your current existence. Where do you find the sacred? Slow down and let yourself see things from this perspective. That's it for the week. Until next time, I bid you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste. Can you help me
1: redefine Truth and preservation of our soul shine I can feel it yours and mine Close your eyes and witness it inside In your bones you will know Trust and let go no